This is the Rundown. The Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the auction community studio for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass dancing. Jesse Morrison behind the glass. This is... It's a full-fledged dance party here. Uh, going into the weekend here, and man, feeling pretty good about the Phoenix Suns. For uh, it's not like a new reason, but there's it's kind of a new reason. The way DeAndre Ayton has been playing lately, if he continues to play like that, sky's the limit for this team this year. It really is. You know, I've made this point in the past. And I, I still I stick by it. And some people took it the wrong way. I feel like this team has been constructed in such a way this year where they don't need DeAndre Ayton to be really good in the regular season. And I don't mean that as a slight on DeAndre Ayton. I know some people took it as like, well, you want to trade DeAndre Ayton? No, I don't. <laughs> but what I'm saying is James Jones has constructed a team that can win games without DeAndre Ayton being great, which, by the way, is James Jones' job. He's not the one that drafted DeAndre Ayton. So his job is not to come in and be like, oh, i got to make Ayton the best player ever. No, yeah, you do if you can. But James Jones' job was to come in here and build a team that isn't overly reliant on one player. I mean, ideally, he could build it in such a way where if Devin Booker had a few off nights, they could win. That's a little bit tougher to do. But that's all regular season. If you want to see this team win multiple playoff series... DeAndre Ayton needs to be playing the way he has been playing. And this is a pretty good time for him to start doing it. I mean, what's what is the knock been on Ayton? It's just consistency, right? That's the knock on on most young potential star players when they come into the league. You see it, and I I get it. Like with Ayton, it's a little more it has been a little more obvious. It's also been a little more scrutinized because he was number one overall pick. But consistency is usually the biggest thing when you are a guy with that much talent. In any sport, you break in. Okay, we see flashes like, oh, this guy's amazing. This guy, this guy can take over a game. He can completely dominate the rim. He can just, he can be everything the Suns have ever wanted. But can he do it night in and night out? But as I have said before, even if he's not going to be consistent yet, I don't really care as long as he's doing what he's doing right now for the next two months. Do it for the next two months. If you're inconsistent to start next year, fine. You're 23 years old, 22 years old. That's fine. 23 next year. But if he catches catches fire and plays like this for a couple weeks in May and early June, like this could get this could get real interesting. I don't think any Suns fans at this point are scared of any team in the playoffs in a 7-game series. Doesn't mean that you would like to, you know, you you there's maybe some teams you'd like to avoid. I'd like to avoid the Lakers in the first round. I heard Burns and Gambo talking about this earlier. Uh, I would prefer the Lakers play the Clippers in the first round. Yes, do it. Take each other out. One of you one of you goes out in the first round, and Denver is so depleted right now without Jamal Murray, and we'll get to Utah in a second. The first round matchups are going to dictate a lot of how these playoffs play out in the Western Conference. They always do, but particularly this year, I believe they're going to, just because the Lakers are such a wild card. And this whole season is kind of a wild card, and there's the injuries to deal with and this and that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're the Phoenix Suns and you're playing the way you've been playing, and now DeAndre Ayton's going to play like this, like I said, there's not any team I would be afraid of if I were a Suns fan. Especially because this team doesn't lose multiple games in a row. They've lost two games in a row. The last time they did it was January 27th. That's a pretty long time. It's May 16th, in case you've lost track of of what day it is, like I have. It's almost three months. Seven-game series. I mean, I know it's it's not as cut and dry as well. That just continues right through the playoffs. But if it did, then as long as you win game one as the Suns, you're fine, because you're not losing two in a row, right? This is a pretty good team that is going to be potentially great in these playoffs if DeAndre Ayton plays the way he's been playing. 26 points last night was a major reason, I would say the primary reason, that they beat the Sacramento Kings. And, you know, you can look at that and you can say, well, it's Sacramento. You should just be able to beat the Kings. Yeah, fine. But, I mean, that was win 40 of the season. 
in their first 55 games, you have some ups and downs over the course of a season. The Suns really haven't had any downs. The biggest downs they've had have come against these teams like Sacramento that they should just handle, and for whatever reason they don't. But last night, because of DeAndre Ayton, they basically did. So 40 wins in the first 55 games is the fastest the Suns have gotten to 40 wins since 2007. I mean, that's that's a while ago. That's <laughs> and there's been a lot of uh, been a lot of years in there where they didn't even get close to 40 wins in 82 games. They have every chance now to get the top seed in the West. They've already had that, and uh, something happened in Utah today that we're going to get to in just a second that may even increase those odds for the Suns. But uh, right now, 40-15 and 15 and taking on San Antonio tomorrow as they try an inch closer to Utah for first in the West. Let's get into the Rapid Reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Well, we'll start in baseball. D-backs taking on the Washington Nationals today after jumping all over Patrick Corbin for 10 runs in the first two innings yesterday and winning 11-6. to There's been no offense in this one. They're through six innings from Washington, and it is scoreless right now. It's the last time D-backs played this low scoring of a game. Um, not a lot of hits. Six total hits in this game. The D-backs only have two. Tim LaCastro and Cole Calhoun have the hits. For the uh, the D backs, Carson Kelly reached base on a walk, but just not a lot going on there. Except Taylor Widener's pitching pretty well, and Taylor Widener has pitched pretty well so far this season. Came into this game with a two four five ERA. You're going up against Max Scherzer. You probably don't expect to have a lot of offense in that game, and that's been the case so far. Scherzer has struck out seven through six innings, walked a couple, only given up the two hits. But Taylor Widener six innings, four hits allowed, two walks, three strikeouts. You know, Madison Bumgarner's been an absolute mess so far this season and really since the D-backs got him. But doesn't your view of this team change if Luke Weaver is going to pitch the way he did two years ago? It's early this season, but he's looked he's looked good. If Zach Gallen is back, which he is, and if Taylor Widener's going to pitch like the guy that they had, they had high hopes for Taylor Widener a couple years ago. And, and, and he wasn't like behind schedule or anything. But you never know. Guy's going to step in and, and pitch the way he has pitched. And he came into this game with a, like I said, a two four five ERA, and that's that's dropping the way he's uh, pitched so far today against the Nationals. So we'll keep you up to date on that one throughout the evening. Uh, back to the NBA. Utah played an early game today, a noon start against the Pacers, and Donovan Mitchell went down in the game. Look, I want to be clear. I don't. I'm not like rooting for anybody to get hurt. I actually really like Donovan Mitchell. He's one of my favorite players to watch, and it, it was an ugly looking play. I think the Suns could beat the Jazz at full strength in the playoffs, and I hate it when seasons are decided by injuries. Even the Jamal Murray thing. I know that helps the Suns because I'm not sure the Suns were going to beat Denver at full strength. I think it was going to be good. I think it was going to be a seven game series. But I didn't want to see anybody get hurt. But Mitchell went down. Just a weird play uh, in the third quarter. And we don't know much except x-rays have come back negative since then. So that would seem to indicate, and I'm I'm not a doctor. I want to get that out there. I'm just trying to kind of logically piece this together. Just based on how it looked and the fact that x-rays came back negative, I would assume he would be good to go by the playoffs and probably well before then. But it may help the Suns if you know if your goal is to get the number one seed in the Western Conference. I know that's not the Suns' ultimate goal, but uh, you know you get that top seed. In theory, you should have a relatively easy first round matchup. Utah's got the Lakers tomorrow and Monday. I would be shocked if Mitchell's playing tomorrow and. I don't know. I mean, probably not Monday. Like I said, I don't want to speculate on the guy's health. But um, after that, Houston, Minnesota, Minnesota, and Sacramento, four games that I, if I'm Utah, I'm not rushing Donovan Mitchell back for those games. You know, if he's if he's good to go and that injury looked worse than it ultimately is, and he's like, no, I want to get back out there, okay, fine. But the next game that they realistically would be like, okay, we need Donovan Mitchell, and this is two weeks away, maybe he's good to go, would be the game in Phoenix on April 30th, two weeks from tonight. So keep an eye on that. Certainly the Suns um, don't make up any ground on the Jazz today because Utah actually came back and won that game. And they were not. They were looked like they were in bad shape for a while. So Phoenix still one and a half back. Suns forty and fifteen. Utah forty two and fourteen. 
But um, like I said, keep an eye on the Jazz now with Donovan Mitchell and uh, and his status going forward. And over to hockey, the Coyotes in action tomorrow afternoon game against the St. Louis Blues. And that game is of particular importance because the Blues have 44 points and the Coyotes have 43 points and only one of them is making the playoffs. It's probably going to be one of those two teams. And um, Coyotes have 12 games left. St. Louis has 14. Those two teams, of course, played seven straight games against each other earlier this season. This is the uh, the eighth and final meeting between those two. So that's that's a big one tomorrow as the Coyotes will host the St. Louis Blues. Coyotes played 16 of their last 20 games on the road, which is pretty ridiculous. But they are back home tomorrow and uh, more fan capacity being allowed in that one than there has been for any other game this season. All right, we come back. We're getting to some football. The Cardinals draft first round less than two weeks from tonight, two weeks from last night. And uh, Todd McShay, an interesting take on what their biggest need is. Got to be honest, haven't heard a lot of people saying this before today. So we'll get into that next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's the NFL draft two weeks from last night is when it starts. The NFL season, really. They have uh, they've accomplished their goal they set out to accomplish a few years ago where they were just going to make the NFL season go 12 months a year, and especially draft season, though. Coming up on it, the Cardinals will, of course, pick 16th, barring some sort of trade. And Todd McShay put out a piece today. You can find a link to it on uh, ArizonaSports.com. We have a story about it there. But he goes through... And look, I mean, McShay's done a bunch of mocks up to this point. Mel Kuyper has as well. I mean, there's a billion mocks out there. We have our our Arizona sports mock tracker up there as well. But today, McShay took a different approach, and he just went through what is every team's biggest need heading into the draft. And for the Cardinals, the position he has most important is not cornerback. It's not wide receiver. It's not even running back. Which, you know, it makes sense now that they have James Conner, but there's certainly a, a you know, school of thought where it's like, okay, you've got James Conner for a year. You don't totally know what Chase Edmonds is going to be like as a starter or as a guy in, in a full-blown committee. Is it worth drafting a running back that's going to be your guy for the next five or six years or whatever? You know, he kind of eases into it this year. Running backs get hurt a lot. Uh, you go through a few of them in, the, in a season, certainly, especially if you are a playoff team. Saw with San Francisco last year, they they kept rotating through the same four running backs over and over and over again, and they had more running back depth than most teams. So running back is at least on some people's lists. I mean, for me, it would be behind corner, and it would be behind wide receiver. So McShay ranked the seven biggest needs for the Cardinals, and he has corner second, and he has wide receiver fifth, and he has running back sixth. But the one he has number one is tight end. And... Look, Kyle Pitts isn't going to be there at number 16. We've seen some mocks where the Cardinals trade up and they get Kyle Pitts. What was when we were looking at last week? They traded up to 7 with Detroit and they got Kyle Pitts. I don't think Kyle Pitts is going to be there at 7. <laughs> to be honest, it just it really doesn't seem that way. Um, so if you're going to take a tight end, if, if, if you approach it the way McShay is implying you should approach it, I don't know what tight end you're getting at 16. You're not taking one at 16. And look, to be clear, I mean, McShay says right in his little write-up, okay, you know, one of the top three corners in this class, Patrick Sertain, J.C. Horn, Caleb Farley, could be a great selection in the middle of the first round. Arizona has six picks to work with, only two in the first four rounds, though. Well, the way this draft breaks down at tight end is Kyle Pitts and then some other tight ends. That's pretty much the scouting report on the tight end position. Now, that night that the the uh, the mock draft came out that had the Cardinals trading up to seven to get Kyle Pitts, giving up a first rounder this year, obviously to move up, and then next year, I was looking through and it was like the most dominant tight ends in this league right now are Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. One's a third rounder, one's a fifth rounder. So you, it's not to say you can't find a tight end in the middle and even later rounds of the draft. But that's probably where the Cardinals are going to have to do it if if you really are going to approach it this way. So I don't know what they really are. I mean, I, I think there's a, a very good chance they just kind of run out there with the offense they have this year uh, on paper already. You know, James Conner, 
Chase Edmonds at running back. You have A.J. Green, who I, I'm, I'm assuming at this point is replacing Larry Fitzgerald. We don't need to get back into the Fitz conversation right now. You've got DeAndre Hopkins. You've got Christian Kirk in a contract year. You've got a couple tight ends, but not anybody. Max Williams and, and Darrell Daniels, nobody that's, that's going to you know, set the world on fire statistically. But you upgrade to Rodney Hudson up front, and you just take the approach that Kyler Murray entering his third year, his development's going to make the offense better. You've made the offensive line in front of him better. He's got two running backs to work with. A.J. Green, I'm assuming in the Cardinals' mind, is is going to give them the same, if not maybe even a little bit more than Larry Fitzgerald. It is an interesting thought, though. If you could get a dynamic tight end in here, and McShay makes this point, too, kind of. If you get a, a dynamic tight end in here, it could almost... He could kind of operate as like your fourth receiver that could move up to be like your third best pass catcher or even your second. I mean, depending on how good he is, takes pressure off those guys behind Christian Kirk. It would be great. Like in a perfect world, if you're telling me, hey, the Cardinals could have anybody in this draft. Yeah, Kyle Pitts would be my pick. If you're just saying, if the Cardinals, let's say they were picking third right now. Thankfully, they're not. But let's just say they were picking third in this year's draft. Who do you want them to take? Oh, yeah, I'd take Kyle Pitts. I'll figure it out at corner. I've got Malcolm Butler now. I can draft a corner in the second round. Hopefully he's kind of the uh, the the heir apparent. You've got Byron Murphy. You've got other pieces at that position. Picking 16, though, I'm not getting Kyle Pitts. I'm probably going corner. <laughs> Unless I really have to reach for somebody. But yeah, if you're just telling me you can take whoever you want in this draft, yeah, absolutely. I would take Kyle Pitts. I mean, this offense should be fun anyway. If you could bring in a weapon like that, that's, that is a game changer. It's just you're not going to be able to bring in a weapon like that that makes an immediate impact through free agency now or in the second round of the draft or later. Not at that position. I looked up who they have. The second-ranked tight end in this draft right now is Pat Freiermuth, uh, the tight end out of Penn State. So, I mean, does that get you excited? You're not taking him in the first round. They have him ranked 48th overall uh, as a, like a Tier 4 player in this draft. You know, maybe, maybe in the second round. But to me, that feels like more of a dart throw than anything else. Well, University of Arizona, not wasting any time, or at least Tommy Lloyd's not wasting any time. Getting four-star commit uh, Dylan Anderson, one of the top prospects or top recruits in Arizona. One or two, depending where you're looking. And Tommy Lloyd's been on the job for what, like two days, three days, and he uh, he's already got he's already got Dylan Anderson in here as they uh, as they start to rebuild at U of A. Kind of rebuild is maybe a strong term because they were still a decent team last year. We had Sarah Cazell in here last night. She stayed a little bit uh, longer after her, her update to start the show because she went to U of A, and I consider her one of the more level headed U of A fans I know, and she's all in on Tommy Lloyd. I got to say, as as somebody who really doesn't want U of A to succeed, especially not at the expense of ASU where I went, um, I don't love that Tommy Lloyd hire for U of A, but I mean it in a way of because I think he's going to be good at U of A. So I do love it for them. I just don't love that they got him. It was interesting to me, though, the the reaction from some of the, the, the Wildcat uh, fan base that this is somebody where it's like, oh, we don't really want to go out there and we're getting like an assistant coach from a program that is in a smaller conference. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's all true. But what you were doing before wasn't really working. It wasn't bad. But if you're going to tell me you're one of the true blue bloods in college basketball, and I feel like I'm maybe one of the few people at the station who doesn't believe that. I think they're very good. I think it's a top 25 program. Like if you if you if I was if I was one of the best coaches in college basketball and all the jobs were open and I could pick and put aside the ASU U of A thing. There are more than 10 programs I would take ahead of the University of Arizona. Just if you're factoring in tradition, recent success over the last 20 years. I mean, there's there's teams that have won multiple national championships since the last time U of A won one. But U of A is still one of the top programs. I talked to Casey Jacobson Last week, and I thought he he put it the best. It's not even so much your your results as your brand. 
And as far as a brand, U of A basketball is absolutely top 25 in the nation, year in and year out, top 20 as far as a job. So I at least understand that argument of we shouldn't have to go out and take somebody else's assistant. We should be able to go and just pluck pretty much whoever we want, short of you know going and taking North Carolina's coach or Duke's coach or Kentucky or whoever. But man, Tommy Lloyd's been at one of the best programs in basketball over the last two decades. And they've never won a national championship, and he wasn't the head coach. So I get that. I understand if there's some hesitancy there if you're a U of A fan. But I said this last night, and I'll repeat it. If you're a U of A fan that's apprehensive about this hire, who did you want? Because that's the thing. I haven't heard another name other than like Damon Stoudemire, who's coaching in a small conference <laughs> and not uh, not having the success that they they are having at Gonzaga. I'm not saying Damon Stoudemire is not a good coach or that he won't be a good coach, but that to me is it's it would be different if you were like, oh yeah, we could have got whoever, we could have got Mark Few. If you felt like you could have got Mark Few, who's been the head coach at Gonzaga, or you're like, oh, we could just we could pluck uh, whoever, we could take the UCLA's head coach, we take Mick Cronin, we just take him. If yeah, if you feel like you could do that, okay, well then that would be better than than getting an assistant coach who's never been a head coach. I get that. There is inherently some risk when you bring in a guy who has not been a head coach of a of, you know is a power five conference, but there's also some some untapped potential, and you don't totally know what the upside of the ceiling is. So we're not going to decide anything here in the middle of April, but that's a good step forward for U of A. A, I think I think they got a good uh, a good coach here, or at least a, a guy with with legitimate upside, and then B to go out there and get. A four-star commit already this week. That's uh, like I said. I hate it. I don't want to see U of A get good again. I had a certain level of comfort over the last few years. Of Sean Miller would get them to the dance. He wasn't getting them past the Elite Eight. And I know that sounds crazy, but as somebody who didn't want U of A winning a championship, I felt pretty comfortable. He wasn't getting them past the Elite Eight or the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, and really, last few years didn't even get them to the Sweet Sixteen a lot of the time. There's there's a really good chance this is a very big upgrade for U of A, and um, we'll see. We've got to see how it plays out, but they got their first step towards uh, towards doing that today, getting the uh, getting Dylan Anderson uh, as as a big man up front. Okay, when we come back. Want to get into uh, the sports gambling topic that we really haven't gotten to jump into on this show yet. The potential impact on just your fan experience at these games is. There are elements of this that we can't even begin to, to comprehend yet. Like we're just going to have to see how it plays out. But this this is really going to change your your experience at live sporting events in a big way. And we'll discuss that next. It's the rundown on ninety eight seven FM Arizona Sports Station. All right, welcome back to the show. The I won't. I won't get deep into like the whole legal system here, but the fact that sports gambling is going to be a thing in Arizona very soon—it's already been voted in—and now you hear that like they're going to have a sports book up at TPC. They're going to have a sports book at Phoenix Suns Arena. Like I said, going into the uh, the commercial break, there we don't really have a way to completely conceptualize how this is going to look. Like, if you go to games and you're able to bet on games while you're there, and that we know that that's going to be an option, is that going to make you more likely to bet? Is it something that you look at and you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, maybe occasionally, maybe maybe if I could go bet on the Suns when they were 38-1 to to win the, uh, the, the NBA Finals, maybe I see like ridiculous odds like that, maybe I, I would throw something down. Are you really going to bet like quarter by quarter? And the other thing is, whether you are or not, people around you are, what does that do for the the fan experience on a random weeknight in the middle of the season, game 48 of an 82-game season? Are we going to have the crowd like kind of, not split, but is there going to be like 15% of the crowd that bet on the Suns to lose by, or to win by less than, you know, nine and a half, and it's it's not a playoff game. Like I said, it's just the middle of the season. It's in the, the grand scheme of things. doesn't necessarily change where the Suns are going to be. Are we going to have some fans that are like, have a little money on the other team? Like It's just it's going to be weird. I, I really do wonder what the impact is going to be on the crowd itself. Um, 
I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not a huge gambler myself, but I do follow it a lot for this show, just because I'm fascinated by. Sometimes you'll see like uh, the Suns were 38 to one like a week or two ago to win the uh, the win the NBA Finals. That's ridiculous. The Suns are one of the three or four teams that has the best chance to win. They should be I don't know eight to one. I understand they're not the Lakers or the or the Nets, and I understand a lot of those odds are driven by how people are betting, not so much by how, um, you know how good the team is, but. I've got two of you guys behind the glass. Are you guys are you are you interested in sports betting when it becomes available at all, or is it just kind of just gonna let it pass and see what happens? So I mean, I, I would go I would go put like five dollars down on the Suns thirty eight to one because you know that that's a, that you'd get a lot of money out of out of just like putting five dollars down. But I'm not someone that's gonna bet like a whole bunch of money on on sports. It's just not or, or any anything really. It's I, I want I want low amounts of money spent with high rewards. So if it was something like that, then yes. But <laughs> but not not a, I'm not gonna go in there and and place bets every you know quarter or whatever. I'm not I'm not someone that likes to. To, uh, leave my seat too much at games, uh, so this is this is just another opportunity for me to leave my seat, and I, I, I'm not going to be doing that. I like to keep my focus on the game at hand. I, I would make this is where I would step in and make fun of you for being lazy and saying laziness is a major factor. But honestly, it kind of seems like a hassle. I, I know that that I, that sounds I'm sure strange to a lot of my friends that are are very excited about this. It just. If I were going to bet on sports, it's generally not going to be a local team anyway. It's going to be about some team across the country that I just feel like is getting, you know, stupid odds or something. I just I have very little very little uh, thought that this is going to change how I view sports at all. Jeff? See, I I I think that's really important that you bring that up. I don't like I don't know how much I like the idea of having a bet on person uh, for example the suns yeah and watching a suns game and being somehow even more stressed out when i watch them <laughs> but if we're talking about something like uh, the soccer team halfway across the world yeah why not let's yeah. let's get interested in soccer today <laughs> <laughs> just for a day it's um i don't know like like with the suns okay if betting was available when these playoffs started I think you bring up a good point, Jeff. I wouldn't bet on the Suns. I'm you're we're already so invested here in seeing how they do. I wouldn't want additional money riding on it. I'm certainly not going to bet against them. You know what I mean? And and you don't want like Jackie Moon on Corn Dog Night. Like, all right, beat them, but not by a whole lot. Let's calm down. Well, that, yeah, that's is that a semi pro reference? Nice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's kind of what I was saying before. Like, is what's that going to do to a crowd? And maybe the Suns aren't the best example. Maybe I should just go like middle of August, D-backs playing the Reds. It's game 75 of the season. How much of the Diamondbacks crowd is going to be like, okay, you know, maybe Cincinnati, you know, whoever. Even the, like the game tonight. How much of the Diamondbacks crowd would be, okay, Max Scherzer's pitching. So like I want the D-backs to win, but I have 20 bucks riding on the Nationals winning. Isn't that going to take your the, some of the crowd's intensity out of the game? I don't know, but the, the Nationals Park it it has a sports book, I believe, already in in the park, and they're playing there tonight. So, oh, so it, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see if if you know the, those fans are how interested they are in it. And you know, I, again, I don't know. Like, I just wouldn't bet on my team. I don't, I don't I don't bet on my teams. I don't bet on the game that I go to. Like that's it. It would just not be as fun. I don't I don't know. I, I just for me, it's just it's not something that. It just just interests me. It interests me at all. I, I like that it is legal because, like you just said, it's already legal in so many other stadiums. Like, just you're gonna have to make this somewhat universal. But I just don't think it's for me. I really don't. And I, and I don't think it being readily available around me is going to suddenly make it more something I'd be interested in. Like, I play fantasy sports. I have no interest in daily fantasy sports. That also seems like a hassle. People have made it into such a science. you got to sit there and, and you got to do all the math to put together all the different salaries. I, I get why people are into it, but you're not winning unless you have almost a perfect roster. And to me, I'd rather just draft my team and then get angry at them over the course of the year as they all get hurt or stop playing. I gotta say, when I was a kid and I like, I thought I knew football, but I was eight and didn't actually know football. Yeah, I was way better at fantasy football. (laughs) Now that I like know people, it's just pure disappointment. 
Yes, that's that's true. It's like when you really follow college basketball closely one season and then you fill out your bracket and you have like three of your final four teams out in the first weekend. I'm I'm not proud to say I have had Cam Newton on my roster four years in a row. See? I keep thinking he's going to bring it back. <laughs> See, eight-year-old you never would have let that happen. Oh, yeah, because he would not remember names year in and year out. We need like a Back to the Future situation, and maybe this is finally the plot line for Back to the Future 4, where eight-year-old Jeff visits Jeff now in 2021 and says, look, right before the draft night, he's like, no more Cam Newton, okay? Like, just, you gotta, just Have you seen him throw bounce passes to his receivers over the last? Just stop drafting Cam Newton. No, I'm, I'm all in and have been all in since I was like 10 on the normal fantasy sports, but daily fantasy sports, I, I guarantee you, you know people in other states that that play them and it's like they're just they're off the face of the earth for three hours a day because they're sitting there coming up with every possible combination and they've got like 17 entries in one game i'm not trying to discourage people from doing it it's it's just not uh that's it's it just is a lot of work but as far as the actual betting on games i do wonder what that in arena experience is going to be like because it's going to be so readily available i mean like TPC, uh, the Suns Arena, D-backs too. Like, that, it sounds like this stuff's going to be available soon, like by summer. That's crazy to go from nothing, to have no way to ever bet on any sport to while you're sitting there watching the game live, you can bet on it in the span of a couple months is unreal. I remember when the uh, Supreme Court first made the decisions that the uh, decision that states could make the decision for themselves, there were... Uh, betting machines being rolled into Monmouth Park Racetrack in New Jersey. Yeah. Literally hours after the Supreme Court <laughs> well, made the call. New Jersey was all over this, like, from day one, weren't they? They, I, if I remember correctly, they were the party that brought the suit to the Supreme Court. Yeah. It gives more credence to the uh, the phrase that everything is legal in New Jersey. Uh, all right, when we come back, D-backs are playing Washington right now. We're going to replay part of an interview from earlier in the day, obviously, because it's with Carson Kelly. But the way Carson Kelly has been hitting this season, I want to hear from Carson Kelly. And he was on with Doug and Wolf this morning, and we'll also get you an update on that game right now in the eighth inning, bottom of the eighth. D-backs Nationals still scoreless. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, well, hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studio. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not going to start on a high note. Diamondbacks just lost, bottom of the ninth, Kyle Schwarber walk-off home run. one nothing. the final from Washington this uh, afternoon slash evening. So the D-backs are going to drop to 5-9. and nine. Wasted a really good start by Taylor Widener. Six innings, no earned runs, no runs at all. I mean, the D-backs gave up their first run in the bottom of the ninth inning. So six scoreless from Widener. Kevin Ginkle came in and gave him a, an inning of relief there. But um, they do lose one nothing in the bottom of the ninth. And look, I mean, you're facing Max Scherzer, so you know that runs are going to be at a premium. If somebody said going into this four game series, hey, one of these games is going to be one nothing, you probably figured it was the one that, that Scherzer was starting. But still, Widener gives you six scoreless. You got to find a way to get a run or something, don't you? And uh, they end up losing to the Nationals. So, like I said, the D backs are now five and nine on the season. That's where we start the reload. Um, Number two on the list, the Phoenix Suns are going to take on the San Antonio Spurs tomorrow night. And that is at Phoenix Suns Arena. And then they're on the road for a while. So you've got you've got the game against the Spurs, and I, maybe this is poetic. I mean, right now the Spurs are the tenth seed in the Western Conference. Remember, this year the top ten get to keep playing. Seven through ten have to sort of play their way into a uh, a, a playoff round. But um, you got to finish in the top ten to stay alive. The Suns could really do some damage to the Spurs here uh, over the last month of the season. Sun season ends a, a, exactly a month from tonight, May 16th. Play the Spurs three times in there. Play them tomorrow, and then you play them on May 15th and May 16th. So it's not the same as going back in time and eliminating the Robert Ory Spurs. I get that. But you have a chance here over the next month, you play the Spurs three times of uh, of knocking them out of playoff contention this year. So that, that would at least be something 
little extra feather in the cap, but uh, obviously the Suns' focus is on the top of the Western Conference. And they've got this this game against San Antonio tomorrow. Then it's out on the road for quite a bit. Starting on Monday in Milwaukee, Giannis, like I said last, uh, last show, has been hurt. He did play last night, didn't play a lot. Um, they're obviously easing him back in, and it might be... It's a good chance this is what happens with Donovan Mitchell, too. I mean, Milwaukee's in. They know they're in. It's not like they're they're fighting for their playoff lives. So I would guess uh, there's a good chance Giannis is on a minutes restriction down the stretch. That may not help the Suns on Monday, but just something to be aware of. They go to Philadelphia Wednesday. They go to Boston Thursday. They go to Brooklyn. This is now next Sunday. And then uh, in New York against the Knicks next Monday, April 26th. So you got the home game tomorrow and then on the road for... A monster East Coast road trip against the Bucks, Sixers, Celtics, Nets, and Knicks. Home for two against the Clippers and Jazz. And then right back out on the road against Oklahoma City, Cleveland, and Atlanta. Not quite as intense in that case. But those two home games wedged in there right at the end of this month against the Clippers and the Jazz. Probably going to be one of those three teams that wins the Western Conference regular season, at least. And as I've been maintaining all along, I think if you... If you're trying to avoid the Lakers in the first round, just stay in the top two. I think if you're number one, I think LeBron comes back and uh, and whenever he has to to make sure that the, the Lakers don't drop out of the top six and have to play extra playoff games. But other than that, you really can't control it. If you drop down in that three or even four range, you can't control what other teams are doing. So it is big for the Suns to stay in the top two, and this is going to be a huge test coming up starting Monday on that road trip, but then those two home games are actually even more meaningful against the Clippers and the Jazz. Speaking of the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell today dealing with uh, an ankle injury. We don't know a ton about it yet. This It looked bad. It looked really bad. The, uh, the, the Jazz were playing the Pacers this afternoon in a game the Pacers were up by quite a bit for a while. Jazz ended up coming back and winning, but they lost Donovan Mitchell in the third quarter and it looked bad. It's an ankle injury, but this is Woj a little bit after the game saying maybe not quite as bad as it looked. Some early optimism, I'm told, that this is not a major injury. Uh, the x-rays were negative. He'll take an MRI. Uh, he'll get an MRI tonight. They'll know better the severity of the injury. But I'm told it's a lower ankle injury, and he was able to maybe put a little bit of weight on it um, as time progressed after the game, but, but they'll know more after that MRI. Yeah, lower ankle injury. I mean, if you are looking at this from the Jazz perspective or you just don't want Donovan Mitchell hurt, that's um that's better news than high ankle usually. And x-rays negative. Mitchell finished with 21 minutes in the game, 22 points. Like I said, Jazz came back uh, and uh, and outscored the Pacers by 8 in the fourth quarter, 119 to 111. So the Suns are still a game and a half back of Utah for that top spot. But we kind of looked through the schedule earlier in the show and... Without knowing the severity of the injury, there's really no reason for Utah to rush Donovan Mitchell back. So, again, I'll reiterate, I think the Suns are good enough that they don't need other teams' best players to get hurt, and I don't really want to win because other teams' best players got hurt. Like, I would rather, I'm that guy that just wants to see everybody at full strength and let's let's see who the best team actually is. Jamal Murray getting hurt in Denver, done for the year, that you know, however you want to look at it, I mean, it does help the other teams in the Western Conference. Doesn't sound like that's the case with Donovan Mitchell. But if you look at the schedule, they got the Lakers tomorrow. I'm assuming he's not playing tomorrow. They've got the Lakers Monday. I, I don't I don't know that he's going to be back for any of those games. And then they've got a stretch of Houston, Minnesota twice, and Sacramento. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's Utah's best player, but they don't need him against those teams. And again, sort of like Milwaukee, they're in the playoffs. At the end of the day, it would be great to have the number one or number two seed. You can put the Suns in, in this same boat. But if you were risking your best player, like the Suns wouldn't risk their best player for the number one seed. They're just going to the playoffs as the two seed or the three seed even at that point. So, again, without knowing any specific timetable on his injury, the, the next game that really makes sense for him to play is two weeks from tonight assuming he can, and that, of course, is here against the Phoenix Suns. So um, we'll see. We'll see if, uh, if if the Suns get to avoid Donovan Mitchell. Even if they don't, there's a good chance that uh, that Utah starts to drop in the standings a little bit. I mean, 
They've got Rudy Gobert. They've got other players on that team. Obviously, it's, it's not you can't you can't be as good as they've been as a one man team. But it's really been Donovan Mitchell. And when you look at the uh, the way the Jazz season has gone, where they were kind of just you know five hundred. I think they started four and four. Mitchell wasn't hitting any shots the first two weeks of the season. And then he started hitting everything, and Utah hasn't lost much since. So keep an eye on that. Certainly changes the complexion of the top of the Western Conference uh, playoff race right there. There's, that's that's unavoidable. The U of A hiring of Tommy Lloyd, I'm not going to say that this is, is why they are already getting recruits. I know that the U of A fan base is a little torn on Tommy Lloyd. Maybe, maybe not even so much him, but just the idea that they went out and signed an assistant coach of a basketball program that's really good, but doesn't have national titles and plays in a smaller conference. Either way, though, Tommy Lloyd is here. He's your guy. Uh, This is what he had to say. Wow. I mean, um, you're probably going to see me get a bit emotional. Um, University of Arizona basketball. Amazing. Um, It's a dream come true. He got his first four-star recruit. To commit to U of A uh, today, actually, Dylan Anderson out of Perry High School. So depending where you look, that's either the number one or number two recruit in the state. And he is now going to U of A. Now, they're certainly they're, they're losing some players, too. That's going to happen anytime you switch head coaches. And honestly, in college basketball in 2021, that just happens if the sun comes up. <laughs> I was doing the show with Gambo a week or two ago, and he he's like, guess how many guys are in the transfer portal right now? And I thought I was being ridiculous, and I said like 580. It's a 1,000 plus in the transfer portal. So U of A may lose a couple guys, and it may look like it's because Sean Miller's out, but I, I don't know that that's necessarily the reason. And either way, they've got their, uh, they've got their head coach. They're starting to get recruits. As I mentioned earlier, as an, as an ASU fan, there was a certain level of comfort by the end that Sean Miller wasn't was was not winning a title for U of A. He just did not seem to be that guy. Great recruiter, and I'm not saying he's a bad guy by any means. Certainly didn't care what anybody thought of him though, so he was easy to dislike if you weren't a fan of U of A. And I'm not a fan of U of A, but I kind of liked having him there by the end because I knew there was a cap on what U of A could do. Now it's like a whole new world, and um, we'll see how that plays out in hockey. The Coyotes back home tomorrow to take on the St. Louis Blues. The eighth meeting this season of eight against St. Louis. The first seven all came right in the middle, right in a row. They played seven straight against the Blues. Uh, Was that like a month and a half ago now? And those games were important at the time. This one tomorrow is the most important of the season. We're kind of looking at this during one of the breaks uh, before the show. And it's like the Coyotes have 43 points. The Blues have 44. The top top four teams in every division make it in the NHL this year. The top three in, in the, the West Division are pretty well set. Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota. And the bottom two, Anaheim and L.A., are pretty much out. San Jose's kind of hanging around, but realistically, it's going to be the Coyotes or the Blues that makes the playoffs. And the Coyotes got Auntie uh, Ranta back the other day, so they're at least getting one of their top two goalies back. We don't really know about Kemper yet. But um, if they win this game tomorrow, they're back in a playoff spot with 11 games left in the season. If not, then you spin it the other way and you're like, okay, now you're three back of St. Louis and the Blues have a couple games in hand. Although, again, to point this out, I know it's been pointed out before, St. Louis has a much more difficult schedule down the stretch because the Coyotes already played all the hard teams in their first 44 games. All right, we come back. I want to get back into the Phoenix Suns, the emergence, reemergence, I don't know, more consistent play of DeAndre Ayton. Uh, we'll hear some of the, the, the his comments after last night's win over the Sacramento Kings and as they head into this weekend against San Antonio and that brutal East Coast trip that's coming up starting on Monday. That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Luke Lipinski back here with you. Phoenix Suns, 40-15 and 15 on the season. San Antonio tomorrow. Mentioned this earlier. Fastest of 40 wins for the Suns since the 2006-2007 season. And in most seasons between then and now, they didn't even win 40 games. I mean, when there were there were stretches there where they won 40 games combined out of 164. It is remarkable when you take a step back and just look at this season. And it's it's almost hard to do in the middle of the season, even though we're not playing. It's still almost hard to do. 
But when this season ends, we're going to take a step back and be like, wow, I mean, it is a complete 180 of what this basketball team has been giving us for the better part of a decade. Last year was better. So it's not like a complete jump from winning 19 games to all of a sudden. I mean, they may win. They still have 17 games left this season. I mean, realistically, they'd probably win another dozen. Might win 52, 53 out of, out of 72. That's it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. Um, it's not like we went from winning 19 to that. But even last year, even though there was improvement last year, it took going 8-0 in the bubble just to get the 34 and 39. So that's still not even 500. And that's after that crazy run. That counts those eight games in the bubble. So when we take a step back and look at the season, it's going to be remarkable because in years past, it just you couldn't even you couldn't even keep track of the losing streak. It got it would get to a certain point and it was like, I don't know, they've lost eight or nine or twelve or thirteen in a row. And now it's like the other way. Now, okay, they've won four in a row. But before that they lost one game and they won seven in a row. You know, and then you go back a couple weeks, they won five in a row. And they won six in a row in, in early February. Like the winning streaks. And again, I keep coming back to this because it's the most impressive thing to me. The winning streaks that are only broken up by one loss, and then it's just another winning streak. You know, 40 and 15 is great. That's really impressive. But how about from the moment they dropped to 8 and 8 with that 102 97 loss to Oklahoma City on January 27th, there's 32 and 7. <laughs> like, that's, that is a, that is a good basketball team. A team that. I feel like it's starting to get more respect nationally as not just a a good regular season team. I feel like Utah and the Suns, when they met that last game, national television, great game, back and forth. You know, people across this country that are that are NBA fans didn't know that much about the Suns or the Jazz, I think came away from that probably looking and saying, Okay, maybe those teams aren't just stepping stones for the Lakers and the Clippers when the playoffs roll around. But you know, if you're trying at this point to shake the label of just, okay, you're going to be a really good regular season team, the fastest path to doing that is everybody keep doing what you're doing and DeAndre Ayton keep doing what you've been doing like the last few games. Just keep doing it. And I mentioned this first hour. I said this a couple weeks ago. My stance was this basketball team is now built in such a way that they weren't built in 2018 when they drafted Aiton. That they can win without DeAndre Aiton. And I definitely got some pushback. People being like, why do you want to trade DeAndre Aiton? I didn't say I want to trade DeAndre Aiton. I'm saying this team is now built in a way where they can win if DeAndre Aiton has an off night. He doesn't have to be the best player from the 2018 draft for the 2021 Phoenix Suns to have success. They're not 40 and 15 right now without Aiton contributing. It's not that. But I think anybody that's watching these games and not watching just purely on the emotion of, well, they picked him, so he's the best player. Anybody like that's going to acknowledge he's been better lately, more consistently than he was earlier this season. So that brings us to step two. This team can, can have a ton of regular season success with DeAndre Aiton being inconsistent. But if you want to talk about winning the whole thing, then you need performances like Aiton gave you last night. And like he's been giving you more and more lately. I still don't think Aiton has to be like the dominant presence in a game or in a series for the Suns to go really deep in these playoffs. They just need production from him. Like just good and maybe production is not even the right way to put it. They don't need stats. They need him to be a presence. And he's doing that. He's he's become that guy over the course of the season. He really has. And again, they are constructed in such a way where he doesn't have to be consistently dominant for this team to win. But when he is, they really can beat anybody. Monty Williams last night, Suns got the win over the Kings, and DeAndre Ayton was the reason why. He's not the only reason, but he was the driving force. And Monty Williams was asked, what's it like coaching this guy? Well, I mean, what is it like to coach him? I, I, I just enjoy watching him develop. Uh, he's grown in our program leaps and bounds um, and he's going to continue to grow I think 
and I said this to him and I've said it to our staff, he's one of the most unselfish guys we we have. And he's one of the more unselfish guys with his kind of talent. He's unbelievably unselfish. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Um, but he's, he's growing into his dominance, I believe, but he's also aware of how to play off of his teammates. And, you know, on defense, it's usually he and Mikel in pick and rolls. They've created some synergy on defense, but I think D.A. Has, is really locking into how can he find ways to help us win more than looking for his own stats and all of that stuff. It says a lot about his character. Yeah, his character and and the way he is so easy to coach. I know sometimes it can be frustrating as a fan to watch and be like, okay, he can do this in the first quarter. Why can't he do it in the second? But his personality, I mean, there are not a lot of players in the NBA that would have his pedigree, be the number one overall pick, have the expectations that have been placed on him, and then also be cool with Chris Paul coming in to basically tell him what to do. Not even just not cool with Chris Paul, but like DeAndre Ayton's been cool talking about it with the media. Being like, oh yeah, no, I, I know. He's in here to, to, you know, to yell at me if he has to. He'll, he'll whip me into shape and I'm cool with it. You know, there's, there's no ego with DeAndre Ayton. And for the longest time, that's been held against him. Because it's like, dude, you're better than 80% of the big men in this league. So go out there and be better than them. Have that ego. But now he's playing this way. And they've got this team around him where, again, it doesn't all hinge on DeAndre Ayton being amazing. You've got Chris Paul. You've got Devin Booker. You've got Mikael Bridges. You've got Cam J- You've got a team. You've got Jay Crowder. You have a legitimate team around him. Now that ego is like, uh, you know what? That's actually, that could work in the Suns' favor because he is coachable in that sense. And he doesn't get like defensive about it or get offended. The other thing, too. This is something I don't feel like has been talked about enough with what the Suns are doing. Just look at some of the top teams in the NBA right now. Utah, Clippers, Nuggets, Lakers, Blazers. Let's look at those teams in the Western Conference, and then we can even throw in the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. Those teams are all having success, and I would say realistically, at least, I would say internally, those nine teams, counting the Suns now, all believe they can win the title. I'm not sure like Portland can, but but okay. But that's just for the sake of argument. Let's say those nine teams. None of them are developing a big piece of the puzzle as they're doing this. Like the Jazz, okay. I mean, it's not, I don't want to say it's as clear cut as two players. But in some cases it is. Like the Lakers, it's LeBron and AD. The Nuggets, it was Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Like they've got other pieces. Michael Porter's been huge. Utah, it was Donovan Mitchell. And Rudy Gobert, Clippers, Paul George, Kawhi, Portland, Damian, none of these guys are really developing. These guys are like set. They're at the point in their career where they're like, let's go. I mean, you could put Devin Booker in that category and say, no, Devin Booker's like, he's not developing in, I mean, I guess in a sense he should still be getting better or he can still be getting better at his age, but you can't put DeAndre Ayton in that category. He's absolutely developing on the fly in the middle of what is now a championship race. Because I would be absolutely stunned if somebody other than those nine teams I just read off wins the championship this year. And realistically, like I said, probably take Portland out of the list. As much as I like and respect Damian Lillard, I don't think Portland's winning the title this year. So Utah, Phoenix, Clippers, Lakers, Denver, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. All their main pieces are pretty well established in this league. Brooklyn is basically a super team. Philadelphia's been building around Embiid and Ben Simmons for a while. Milwaukee's been building around Giannis for a while. It's it's not Aiton's not the guy for the Suns, but he's one of the big pieces when you when you put together a short list of of who each team needs to go deep in these playoffs. And really, I'm looking at all these teams. He's about the only one that was just a rookie a couple years ago and is is started this season nowhere near where the Suns or he wanted him to be and now on the fly he's developing which I just it it says a lot about him it says a lot about Monty Williams but it really says a lot about this team James Jones has put together where yeah we're going to contend for the title we're a game and a half out of first in the Western Conference we're 40 and 15 and also one of our big three he's really just kind of learning the NBA still that's crazy when you look at it through that lens especially in a league 
where so much of this is just sign a bunch of free agents, get get a big free agent, and have him bring his superstar friends, and that's how we build a team. It's how the Clippers built their team. It's how the Nets built their team. It's how the Lakers built their team. It's just two superstars and Kyle Kuzma. But uh, but that's how a lot of these contenders have built their team. Like If you're like me, I, if it's not going to be the Suns this year, I'd much rather it was a team like Philadelphia or Milwaukee or Utah or Denver that actually has some homegrown talent. But that's not the way it typically is in the NBA, and it's crazy that the Suns have been able to do this. All right, when we come back, we get a more national perspective on not just the Suns, but the NBA. Tim Bontemps joined uh, Bickley and Murata this afternoon, and um, we'll take a closer look now at what's coming up for the D-backs as well. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Ah, yes, that generic game show music means it is time for one of the many games we play on the show, and in this case, it is this or that. So, Jeff Darge and Jesse Morrison behind the glass, but Jeff's going to play tonight. The way this works, Jeff and I have four different scenarios. We'll throw back and forth each other. Multiple choice of only two answers, because we like to think we can keep things simple on this show. So, Jeff, would you like to ask the first question or answer the first question? I I think I took... I think I asked the first question last time. I'll take the first question. I guess in a way, me simply asking that question was the first question. Oh, man, you're right. So you really had no choice at all. Oh, man. What a conundrum to start the uh, segment. All right, so you go first. All righty. Uh, first off, we'll start with sports. Uh, would you rather see the D-backs always wear their throwback purple and teal... Uh, uniforms or see the Coyotes make the Kachina uniform a permanent jersey? Ooh, good question. This is a big one to start off too. I actually don't mind the uh, the red and black D backs jerseys. I don't I don't mind the Coyotes jerseys either. But I kind of like if they went Kachina full time, just because they never wear the white Kachina jerseys. So if they went Kachina full time, they'd have to go with the white jerseys at some point. So I, I guess that would be my answer. Although I do like the, the red, black, like with the black sleeve on the New Jersey. That's a tough one to start. I'll go Coyotes. Uh, okay, I'll start you off the sports question, too. As a Suns fan, would you rather face the Lakers at some point in the playoffs or just avoid them entirely? Oh, uh, that's a hard question. I mean, the the valiant competitor within me wants to see the Suns Lakers but like the economist within me mm. uh, he, he's very very deep in there but I'm gonna bring him out for this one just to say smartest move is just avoid the Lakers I just we always try and bring out the economist in you at some point by the end of the show I, uh, I hate to be a pragmatist but yeah I would just rather avoid them if given the chance as I was writing the question before I was like well that's a silly question but then the more I thought about it I was like that's not a silly question because you're right there are Suns fans that are like no 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 bring on the Lakers this is this only feels right if we go through the Lakers we want Bama yes exactly but Wanting Bama doesn't usually work out for people. Yeah. I'd rather just avoid the Lakers. I'll tell you this. This would be my answer, and it's not even one of the options. I just don't want the Lakers in the first round. Okay. From there, that's fine. I'll take the Lakers in the second. I mean, that's going to be the toughest team to beat, but that's fine. But I don't want to have to go like Denver in the first round, although the Denver's beat up now. I don't want to have to go like Denver, Clippers, Lakers. That's that's a hard path. Yeah, I don't want instant stress. I, I would like, I keep hearing about how the first round is a cakewalk. I would like to experience that cakewalk. It would be nice after going 40 and 15 to get to just ease into things with like a series against Memphis or something. Yeah, that'd be, oh, that's so nice. Shouldn't be too much to ask. All right, your turn. Uh, would you rather go to a baseball game uh, at Night or a day game? Hmm. If it's a weekday, I'm going to say day game. Because I always feel like I'm getting away with something when I'm at a day weekday game. Like, I don't know if... I mean, I'm obviously not, like, still in elementary school, or as far as you know. But it's not like... If like anytime you went to a day game during the the week when you were in school, it was like I'm blowing off school, or here it's like okay, I'm blowing off work. I mean, I guess not for us since we work in sports, but I think on the weekend I'd actually prefer the evening game. We don't need to have graduated elementary school to work here, right? Absolutely not. Look uh, around you. Good. No. In fact, <laughs> good, it's, good. it's discouraged. <laughs> um, all right, so that's that is my half answer to that one. Okay, we'll go a little bit outside of the world of sports on this one. Would you rather they made a movie about your life 
or you found out today that your whole life up to this point has been a movie? Hmm. Do I get to pick who plays me? Um, you get to pick, you get to suggest some names, but you don't get to pick like one. You can say like, here's like five names I would like suggested. Like the director is able to be like, Brett, we're not getting Brad Pitt. We don't have the budget. And also look at yourself. Like (laughs) he could, that's kind of a rude thing for the director to say to the person that the entire movie is based on. But yes, uh, I'd rather get Truman showed. Okay. That's, that's, it it would make me feel validated. Yeah, that's true. I've never looked at it that way. Also, I've only ever seen the final 10 minutes of The Truman Show. So is it worth me going back and watching the rest of The Truman Show? Well, I mean, you did kind of ruin it (laughs) by knowing how it ends. But I feel like The Truman Show is one of those films where, like, come on, you know how it's going to end. So I think it's worth it to see. Okay. So you would rather be Truman Showed, though? You would rather find Yeah, I would rather be Truman Showed. Okay. I didn't even know that was a verb until tonight. But yeah, now as I hear it, it kind of makes sense that it is. Oh, anything's a verb if you put, like, the E-D at the end. Oh, okay. Well, I learn something new every every show. Uh, All right, your turn. I'm a wealth of knowledge. You are. (laughs) We've brought out the economist within you. Uh... And now, now for some some highbrow cerebral okay. content right now. <laughs> All right, would you rather go one minute against Mike Tyson or one minute against thirty feral seven year olds? Uh, wow! How angry is Tyson? He thinks that you said something about him that you you didn't say, but this was like a week ago that he heard that, so he's been stewing on it for a week. Great. Um, am I am I in like a locked in enclosure? Yeah, like like WWE cage match. So you, you can't get out. I feel like I. Ha- this sounds crazy. I feel like I have to go against Tyson then because thirty feral seven year olds. I couldn't get away from them. Like if you're just go. You're loose in the city. I would just get away from all the seven-year-olds. Yeah, you get swarmed. Yeah, but if I'm locked in a cage, just take the one punch from Tyson, I guess, and go down like uh, like Allen in the hangover. Uh, here, I got another sportsman for you. Would you rather Larry Fitzgerald retires right now or plays for somebody other than the Cardinals this season? Oh, man. I... I... Oh, man. Would he go to a contender? Uh, I, can't, it, I can't tell you that. That's, uh, that's classified information. If I can't ensure that he's going to ring chase, I allow Larry Fitzgerald to ring chase if he wants to. Okay. If I don't know where he's going, though, I'd rather see him retire okay. at Cardinal. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. All right. Good answer. Uh, God, I have a lot of stupid questions. <laughs> We've only got a few minutes to ask them all in, too. All right. Uh... Would you rather? This is a this is for all the uh, Kevin James haters out there. I know that there are many. Uh, would you rather have to watch one Paul Blart movie a week for a year, or one episode of The King of Queens every day for a year? Oh man, that got more intense as it went on. Uh, I've never seen King of Queens, but I'm guessing it's better than Paul Blart. Now the question is, based on the way you've asked this question, is it seven times better than Paul Blart? Am I willing to watch it? Is it every day or every weekday? No, every day you I, get a new episode. You can decide if you want to watch them in sequential order or if you just want to watch them randomly. I don't know if you want to follow the arc of the King of Queens. <laughs> His ascension to the throne the of The hero's Queens. journey of Kevin James. Um, I think I would go King of Queens because I could knock that out in a half hour every morning. Like, just wake up, watch it, and then get on with my life. See, the only thing, though, is, like, uh, you're thinking of this as, like, you're thinking of the first day that you were forced to do this. Yes. Picture yourself in three months. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, I'm watching a lot of reruns of Paul Blart if I'm watching one every week for a year. That's true. That's I, a lot of Blart. I don't think King of Queens went over 100 episodes, so you're certainly watching like the same episodes like three times that, that's, at least. That's fine. I think I could do that. There's at least hope with that show. Here, I got one more for you I got to ask before we wrap up. <sighs> Music question. Would you rather from this point going forward, no, actually, all time, would you rather songs 
could only exist without guitar or without lead singers. So basically, you have to go back in time and wipe out the art of singing or guitar playing. Do people still, like, make guttural noises? Like, how how good of singing are we wiping out? Just any, You're wiping like, out all vocals. All vocals. In, in music form. But if you get rid of the guitars, I will say you can have somebody in your band that makes guitar sounds with his voice. If you want to do that. Well, couldn't we just pick a new instrument? Like, yeah, absolutely. You could have drums. You could have whatever you want. Yeah, then I would, I would probably get rid of the guitar just to replace it with, like, oh, you could change music forever, make the harpist chord the, the main That's instrument. That's true. I mean, just imagine, like, Nirvana and Led Zeppelin with the harpsichord instead of the electric guitar. That'd be... They loved breaking their instruments, too. They, that, that'd be... Exciting to watch. That would be a lot more difficult to break, but you're right. Much more uh, dramatic and stressful. All right, that was this or that. I think we're out of time, so we can't do any more questions, right? All right, we'll do it again next time. That was how we're going to wrap up the week with the harpsichord being the main instrument for all Metallica concerts going forward. That's going to do it for us here tonight. Thanks to Jeff Darge behind the glass, Jesse Morrison as well. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.